I love the individual who sent me the cartoon this past week. You have God and Satan sitting talking to each other. And Satan is saying to God, I just shut down all your churches. And God is looking at Satan. There's a smile on his face. And he said, now I'm able to go into every person's home. I hope you're listening. Sometime in the next couple of days, I hope God blesses you by allowing you to hear the songs and the confessions and the message. God's grace, God's mercy, God's peace upon we, His children, in our Savior's name, amen. I want to share a story with you. Luke chapter 15. There are two groups of people as Jesus is delivering the story. They appear on the surface to be two completely different groups because over in this corner are the tax collectors and the sinners. And over in this corner, there are the Pharisees and the teachers of the law. On the surface, two completely different groups of people, one supposedly righteous and one supposedly very unrighteous. But when you take off the top layers and you get down to the heart of the matter, they are identical. And Jesus delivers the story not to the tax collectors and sinners only, and not to the Pharisees and teachers of the law only. He delivers a message to both of them. And he delivers this message to us. Luke 15. Now the tax collectors and sinners were all gathered around to hear Jesus speak. The tax collectors, they were Jews. They were hated by the Jewish people. Because the Roman government would hire them to collect taxes on their own people. And so the Jewish people looked at the tax collectors and said, You're traitors. You can't be trusted. And then many tax collectors, not all of them, but many tax collectors would overcharge in their taxes. And they would take that money and they'd stuff it into their own pockets. And the people knew it. Now the tax collectors and sinners were gathered round to hear Jesus. But the Pharisees and the teachers of the law, they muttered, This man welcomes these sinners. He's in cahoots with these sinners. He's in fellowship with them. He eats with them at their table. They're friends of his. And Jesus, hearing what the Pharisees and the teachers of the law were saying, and Jesus told them this parable. Suppose one of you, and he's talking to the Pharisees now, suppose one of you was not a Pharisee, suppose you were a shepherd. And suppose you had a hundred sheep, and one of them was lost. Wouldn't you have such compassion on that last sheep? Wouldn't you be worried sick about how scared that lost sheep was? Whether that lost sheep was going to fall into the water and drown or fall off the cliff and die or be attacked by wild animals? Wouldn't you be so concerned, so compassionate about the lost sheep that you would leave the 99 out in the field and you would go and search for the lost sheep? And when you found the lost sheep, You'd be filled with so much joy that you would call your neighbors and your other shepherds 
and you would say to them, Rejoice with me, I have found my lost sheep. And then Jesus said to them, I tell you that in the same way there will be more rejoicing in heaven over one sinner who repents than over ninety-nine righteous people who do not think they need to repent. And I don't know why Jesus went into the next section of that story. Maybe because as he looked at the scribes and Pharisees, he saw no reaction. And then he realized that the Pharisees didn't have compassion and they didn't have mercy. And when it came to a lost sheep, that wouldn't touch their hearts at all. In fact, Jesus said to them on one occasion, Matthew 23, you give a tenth of your mints and juleps, but you neglect the finer points of the law, mercy, compassion, justice, and righteousness. He realizes he's talking about a lost sheep. They could care less about that. No compassion, no mercy. They would take a widow's house and kick her out of the house and sell the house and get the money for themselves. So then he goes a different route. This one will get their attention because he's talking about money. Suppose a woman has ten silver coins. Now their eyes light up. He's talking about money. Suppose a woman has ten silver coins and she loses one of them. Doesn't she light a lamp? Doesn't she sweep the house and search carefully until, even if it takes her hours, until she finds the lost coin? And when she finds that money, she calls her friends and neighbors and says, Rejoice with me, I have found my lost coin. And then Jesus said in the same way, I tell you, there is rejoicing in the presence of the angels of God over every sinner who repents. He mentions angels. If they were Sadducees, he did not have mentioned angels. Because the Sadducees, Acts 23.9, they do not believe in angels or in the resurrection or in spirits. The Pharisees believed in angels. That's why he mentions it to them. The angels in heaven who you believe in, they rejoice when one lost sinner, whether it's a tax collector, whether it's a prostitute, whether it's an embezzler, whether it's someone like you, with so much pride and arrogance you look down upon everyone else, the angels in heaven rejoice over every lost person who comes to him. Luke 15. I can tell you a true story. Fort Wayne, Indiana, 45 years ago, September 1975. Connie and I got married on a Saturday, no honeymoon, because on Monday, two days later, we're in Fort Wayne in an apartment with no jobs, $300 in the bank. God opened up a door immediately for me and for Connie. We both found jobs at the new mall that had opened in Fort Wayne. I'm at Ellis Air as a clothing store. When I wasn't in school, when I wasn't studying, there were my 20 hours a week working in that store. I'd been there about a month, and then the episode happened. A woman comes up to me, and I look at her face, and I become petrified. 
because there is a look of so much fear and terror in her eyes. I had never seen something like that. And then as I looked at her, she was as white as a ghost, as pale as if she was a statue made out of chalk. She opens her mouth, nothing comes out. She closes her mouth, she tries to compose herself, she opens her mouth again, nothing comes out. And then I said to her, just, just take a deep breath. Just take a deep breath. And then she opens her mouth and her vocal cords are paralyzed. The whisper is so soft. I had to get right close to her mouth to hear it. She said, my child is lost. Someone's stolen my child. Help me. She had three other children with her. They were clinging frantically to her legs. They had never seen their mother in this state before. Three other children, one's lost, and her whole being was in such mortal pain that I can't put it into words. Her whole being was in such pain that 45 years later, when I talk about it, I'm there, and the emotions come over me. One of her child, children was lost. I said to her two things. One thing I shouldn't have said because I didn't know it was true. The other thing I should have said, and I did. I said to her, we will find your child. And I had no way of knowing whether that was true. And then I said, God is here. It was about 30 seconds later that I heard a whistle. And the whistle was Joe Franklin, retired police officer, worked security at the store. And whenever Joe whistled, we all looked up. It usually meant a shoplifter was, was at work. But this time when Joe whistled, I saw him walking down the main aisle. He was kind of slouched over, and I could see his lips moving, and he was talking to someone down on his right side. He had a three-year-old child with him. I raised my hand and pointed down to the woman, his mother. And then Joe smiled, and he pointed to the child at his side. I said to the woman, your child is safe. He's right here. Turn around. And she turned and she looked at him. She didn't speak a single word, just a long, long, long sigh. And then she's hugging him so tightly I thought the child would burst. Not a single word, just arms wrapped tightly around a treasure of so vast an importance to this woman that all the money in the world wouldn't purchase him. A treasure, her little boy, was lost, but now pounds. And if you're a parent, and Connie and I <laughs> went through that on two occasions, if you're a parent and your child was there in the store, in your front yard, at the bowling alley, your child was there, and you turned away for 20 seconds, then you turned back, and that child was gone, you know what emotions this evokes. Lost and it stops your heart. 
profound and there is inexpressible joy. That's Luke 15. That's the story that Jesus told. Jesus had three-year ministry on this earth, age 30 to age 33 when he dies on the cross. And during that ministry, there were many parables. There were hundreds of them, and there were uh, thousands of stories, and there were a thousand miracles. But only 35 miracles are recorded, and only a handful of parables are recorded. This one is so important that God made sure when He did the final edit, He made sure that this story got into the Bible. Scribes and Pharisees, tax collectors and sinners. And to the tax collectors and sinners, Jesus is saying to them, the kingdom of God, it can be yours. The profound peace that you so much desire, it can be found as the power of God can come to you and change your lives and save your lives. Were they lost? Was that group lost? Were the tax collectors and sinners lost? Yes. Tax collectors were lost in their greed and in their lust for power. The sinners, whatever sin had taken over their life, they were lost in that path that was contrary to the path that God wanted them to walk. And when you walk paths contrary to God's path, you're not going to have peace. He's talking to tax collectors and sinners. And now the Pharisees and the teachers of the law, they join the audience. Are they lost? Absolutely, they're lost. The Pharisees are lost in the same thing the tax collectors are lost in. They're lost in their greed for money and for power. That's why they existed. Two things, power and money. Jesus is addressing both. The Pharisees are worse off than the tax collectors and sinners because their lust for greed and power, their hunger, their being lost in that arena has caused them to do unspeakable things. Selling widows' homes, kicking them out so that they can accumulate the money. Their lust for power and money has caused them to become so lost that when Jesus does a kind deed, a compassionate deed, Mark chapter 3, verse 5, when a man with a withered hand comes to Jesus on the Sabbath day and says, Can you heal me? Jesus heals him. And instead of compassion and mercy and joy that this man's hand and his life has been restored... The Pharisees, the very next verse, Mark chapter 3, verse 6, they said amongst themselves, This Jesus needs to die. During this coronavirus, no time for partisanship, right? So much of the country is gathered together trying to help, trying to extend mercy and grace to other people. It's been absolutely amazing. You can get so lost in uh, hatred or anger or jealousy or whatever else. That's why we're not supposed to argue politics or religion, right? The Pharisees political and the Pharisees religious. And they look at Jesus heal a man's hand 
And they are filled with so much anger that they said, this Jesus must die. What does Jesus do? Does he get into an argument with them? No. He does not defend himself with words. He describes his ministry by telling the story that I just read to you. He tells to them his purpose for being on this earth by means of the story that I just shared with you. Suppose one of you is not a Pharisee. Suppose you're a shepherd. And then when he realizes these guys don't even rejoice when a man with a damaged hand is healed, he realizes he's gone the wrong direction with them. So suppose you're not a Pharisee. Suppose you're a woman and you got ten coins and you've just lost one coin. What causes a person to be lost? Forget lost sheep and forget lost coins. What causes a person to be lost? This person lost in the greed I've just talked about. This person lost in fear. They think they got their fear under control, and then an hour later they hear another report about the COVID virus, or the stock market, or this restaurant's closed, and 24 million people are unemployed, and all of a sudden that which they thought had been conquered, two hours later in the middle of the afternoon, they're lost in their fear. Here's a person who has an addiction. They just said to, to their friend the other day, I've been clean for five years. And now this COVID virus has come, and the addictions, the alcoholism, the drugs, and everything else, it has exploded. You're lost in your addictions, in your fear, and you're lost in your greed. You're lost in your desire always to put down other people to be judgmental, to be uh, critical of others. You're lost in your lack of faith. You're lost because you don't believe in Him at all. You're lost in your grief. Your husband died six months ago, and you're still in the same condition you were right now as you were back then. And you yourself, as I talk with you, you say, I've not been able to move forward. I'm still as I was the day I found him there. You and I get lost in anything that takes us away from the presence of God. Whatever you woke up this morning saying, this is the day that my grief over my husband's passing is made. This is the day where my alcoholism has come roaring back. This is the day that my alcohol is made. This is the day you fill in the blank. If you had a blank filled in with anything than God, that's what you're lost in today. This is the day that God has made. You say that from your heart. All of a sudden you're not lost anymore, you're found. Whenever fear comes upon me, and it does as readily as it does to you, but maybe I do something that you don't do. Maybe I go quicker to God, and I lift up my eyes, and I lift up my hands, and I smile, and I say, God, you got this. Lucas, when he was younger, and uh, Grandpa would say to him, Lucas, can I help you with that? He'd always say, I got it, I got it. 
I got it, Papa. Is that or Mom? I got it, Dad. I got it, Mom. That's his favorite word. I got it. I look up in the heavens and I say what Lucas used to say. God, you got this. Democrats don't have it. Republicans don't have it. The governors don't have it. The mayors don't have it. You got this, God. And I can see your involvement in the graces that you have bestowed in spite of the virus. And I know, God, that when it's your time, this will be lifted. Where are you lost right now? Does God have you listening to this message on Monday, April 27th, because you weren't ready for it on Sunday, April 26th, but now you're ready for it and God wants you to hear it? What are you lost in right now? God is the great seeker. God is the great seeker. That woman in Ellis Harris, she's probably 80 years of age right now. And if, uh, if you ask her, 45 years after the event occurred, if you ask her what was her most joyous moment on this earth, would she head to that event where the child that she loved so deeply was lost, but then was found more joy at that moment than the birth of a child or her wedding or anything else that happened in her life. Her child was lost, but now is found. When you look up and you say, God, you got this, where is the virus or the cancer or your son's addiction to cocaine? Or you're being furloughed for three months now. Or the house is going to be foreclosed on. When you can lift up your hands and say, God, you got this. You're not lost anymore. You're found. And the angels in heaven are rejoicing. Tell me this now. Tell me why Michael, the great archangel. Tell me why Gabriel, the messenger angel. Tell me why the seraphim and the teraphim, when Jesus is dying on the cross, why does Michael begin to clap his hands, and why does Gabriel begin to clap his hands, and why do all the angels begin to rejoice? Jesus is dying on that cross. Why are they rejoicing? Because the thief on the cross turned to the dying Jesus and said to him, I believe in you. Remember me when we both die. Remember me when you come into your kingdom. <laughs> and Michael is rejoicing, and the cherubim and the seraphim are rejoicing. Though Jesus is dying on that cross, they're rejoicing. The moment you get your eyes off the cancer, off the virus, off the economic impact, the moment you get your eyes off that stuff, and lift them up to God. God, you got this. You got Michael, the great archangel, applauding, and the angels in heaven rejoice. That's God. There are two people who will seek you on this earth. They are both invisible. One is called Satan. 
1 Peter 5, 7, Be sober, be vigilant, your adversary the devil as a roaring lion walketh about, here's the word, walketh about seeking whom he may devour. And whatever means, whatever storm, whatever illness, whatever thing in the realm of finance, relationship, or health that he can use, he's seeking who he may devour. There's someone else who seeks you. <laughs> he is far more powerful. Satan is a little pebble of sand, and, and God is Mount Everest. He seeks you. If Satan roars like a lion, then God roars like ten million lions. His roar is louder and it's more powerful. And his motive for seeking you is completely different from Satan. Satan's motive for seeking you is destruction. God's motive for seeking you is love. He was a great Jewish theologian. His name was C.J. Montefiore. He lived in the 1800s. He looked at this parable and he said, there is something revolutionary and distinctive about this story. Because unlike all other world religion, it shows that God searches out the sinner. In all other religions, the sinner seeks out God, tries to get his attention, tries to do works to appease God. But in the story of Luke 15, it is God who seeks out the sinner. It's not how good we are or what we've done. While we are lost, He comes after us. He looks for us. And He finds us. If you were foolish enough to ask the woman on that day 45 years ago, why are you so upset about your child being lost? If she didn't go for your throat, she would have questioned inwardly your intelligence. And if she would have given you an answer, she would have said, My goodness gracious, because I love him so much. How can you be that ignorant? I love him so much. If you ask God, why He grieves when we're lost, and why He sends His Son to die on that cross, and why He raises Him from the dead. And if you ask God why the angels in heaven rejoice when a sinner comes back to Him, God will say, because I love them so much, because I love you so much, as Jesus stated, John 3.16, God so loved the world that He gave His only begotten Son that whosoever believes in Him should not be lost any longer. They should be saved for abundant life on this earth and for everlasting life with Him in heaven. Two weeks after Easter, tomb is still empty. And the love of God is seeking out the lost on this particular day. It is as strong and powerful as ever it was. Even though it's not the morning, can you say it? 
This is the day that God has made. I'll rejoice and be glad in it. Heavenly Father, fill us with your power, your peace, your strength. Psalm 46, you are not only our refuge, if you were just our refuge, that would just mean that you were our hiding place. But if we're just hiding, nothing is happening to us. We're, we're safe because we're hiding. But it also says you're not only our refuge, you're our strength. So when we're in hiding, when we find ourselves underneath your wings, you are filling us, you are nourishing us with yourself. That power, that peace, that strength, that love, that compassion, that mercy, that grace, that can only come from you. And when you strengthen us, Lord, then we have the ability to look for someone who's hungry, to look for someone who's thirsty, because they're so wrapped up in this virus thing. We look for someone who's naked or in prison or sick, and we go to them. We step out of the refuge and we take the strength that we've learned in the refuge place and we bring that to others. Lord, bless us in the midst of a storm. And may it be such that when we look upon it, it's not so much the storm we see, but the blessing that has come from you. Such things we ask in our Lord's name. Amen.